0: Hi guys and welcome to this episode of the Comedy Defects Podcast. My name is Winter Fonander, I'm a comedian and this is my show. I'm recording these links on Boxing Day and while the rest of you are having your second helping of the remainder of the Christmas dinner, I am doing this you know grinding it out because I care because the last Wednesday of the month this is when this podcast gets released this is episode 56 with a very hard-working comedian he's done five festivals in 2017 I met him at his last one at the Edinburgh Fringe very funny guy Jez Watts he did his show called Sex Lies and Video Games and he also runs the Nasty Show in Perth which is just a show run for comedians who like to write pure filth and that's where it lives in Perth if you're there go check it out Now, if you like this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. We're there, at The Comedy Defect. If you want to follow me, it's at Winter Fonander. I'm also doing three festivals so far next year in 2018. I'm doing Leicester Festival. I'm going to be doing Edinburgh. I'm also going to be doing Brighton. The dates will be on my website and on my Facebook badge or my Facebook page on there so go check that out pretty soon if you want to donate to the podcast you can go to patreon type in the comedy defect podcast and donate as much or as little as you want and those of you that do donate thank you because you're paying for the people that can those of you can't donate hey look just leave us a nice honest review on itunes or Pod being look, but it's really easy to do it on your phone. You can put as many stars as we want, like five, and then put a nice little little funny comment underneath. <laughs> you know, let, let's have fun with it. You know, go for it. Just let yourself go. Because, uh, you know, it's really easy on your phone. Now It's just it's simple. It's in your hand. Go for it. Do it. Uh, I'm also taking as many jokes as I can out of the Guinness Encyclopedia, and I'm going to be putting them up on Twitter still. I'm still doing that. They're on Twitter under the Twitter handle at Guinness Jokes, so go check them out there and go enjoy them. I'm going to be doing some of those one-liners that I've been taking out of that Guinness encyclopedia for that one-liner show in Leicester, which is going to be run by Mr. Christopher Norton Walker, so come see that there. You can see them in action. I love doing this podcast because you can ask the same questions again and again, and you never know where it's really going to go. But I'd like to thank Jess for being so open and honest. This is episode 56 with a very funny, incredibly honest Jez Watts.
1: Jez Watts, hello. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the Calmie Defect. How you doing, man? You're right. Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I just had a I had a good gig. It was um, a little bit of a tough crowd, but I got them. I, I, I opened really well and I closed well. Mm. And some stuff in the middle was good, and then some stuff in the middle wasn't. Mm. But the stuff that wasn't, like the MC, like made real hay of afterwards in a good way. Mm, like, mm. you got some great laughs off the stuff i might that didn't work. Mm. And in that way, I kind of feel like I own a little bit of that success also. And maybe that's an optimistic way to look at it. But I do look at it that way. And uh, I got paid, so yeah, I'm happy. It's good. Yeah. Is your first Edinburgh Fringe? It is! Woo, alright! Yeah. And you're doing your show, and your show's called what? Uh, sex, Lines, and Video Games. Uh, because I want to sell tickets, mm. and people like two to three of those things. My audience does. something for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I maybe, um self-indulgently and pride myself that like all my stuff is true heightening for comedy or whatever right Mm -hmm. uh but i now do this thing at the end where i'm like there's like everything was true uh Mm -hmm. but there's three lies in the show i go back and i can make jokes about the individual things that were lies right and then the third lie that i tell them is because i have this thing in the in in my show in one of the bits about how my girlfriend twelve thousand dollars like there's a third lie. In that, I do not currently owe my girlfriend twelve thousand dollars. You feel the audience like, go like, oh, good, you know, like she seems like a nice girl from everything everything else. It's good, you don't owe her twelve grand. I'm like, yeah, I really owe her eighteen thousand dollars, and then I use that <laughs> as like the bucket, the bucket collection speech, mm-hmm. and I think it works really well because she does deserve the money, even if I don't. Yes, yeah, fair, isn't it? Yeah, and she... I don't deserve. She let me you know, in good faith, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, I still can't work out why she gave me all that money, but mm. um. She's a sweetie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very lucky. You've been going five years now. Oh, four and a half. Four and a half years. Like, you know, a lot of people, I think, like to claim more time than they have. I think a lot of people like to sort of round up because then they feel like more of a comic, you know? Uh Like, how long, if you knew like two and a half, we half, we're like, yeah, about three years now, yeah? yeah." And I like to, if anything, round down. Mm -hmm. People will be like, oh, you're very good for how long you've been doing it. There was a guy in my first show here who, on the way out, like at the Bucket Collection, because I said, there's a bit I do about. I did, like, my first solo show a year ago. He kind of, I guess, misheard it or whatever. And on the way out, he was like, so you've only been going a year? And I didn't quite hear what he said. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, wow, you're great, man. <laughs> like, like, you're so good. And as soon as he, like, sort of walked past me, it was too late. I was like, oh, fuck, I just said I've only been doing it a year. And then I, I actually ran into him downstairs. And then, like, he bought me a drink and stuff. And then he was like, yeah, I've been doing this a year. And I was like, oh, no, it's actually four years Whatever. And then he went... Oh, it was good anyway. It was, you know, like, it was still real good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if I had only been doing this a year and I was like a four and a half year comic, you know, like, that's, I wish I could have been that good Mm. a year. And I was fucked. Mm. I was so bad. I was fucking horrendous for the first, yes. For six months. I I like to say that I was bad for the first Mm. year. But I was, like, really bad, I think, for six months. Because I was just horribly offensive and, like, no craft and real jokes behind it. I was Mm. just being offensive for offensive sake. And I thought I was doing, like, great things for comedy, but I wasn't. But at the end of my first year, I said, you know what? I've been on the wrong track for so much of this. I threw away everything. I didn't keep a single joke. I kept, like, one premise, and then I just started again. And, like, actually, I now brought back, and there's this joke in this show, which is from my first year... It's a little bit rewritten, but I only brought it back, like, eight months ago. Like, just because a comic friend of mine was like, oh, why don't you ever do this joke anymore? I was like, ah, that was part of the first year shit breed of jokes. Mm. Anyway, no, that was actually a good one, and it's it's back now, so... Where was your first gig? first gig was at the tavern that was on campus, mm. that because uh, I, like, worked in the, in the library there while I was studying, and, like, uh, they just put on a, a gig, like, just a one-off. Like, they didn't normally have comedy there, and I'd been talking about doing comedy for ages. I want to be a comedian forever... Uh, but I never thought I was allowed. And then, like, I met an open micer when I was in New York, so I went on exchange, like, to the States. And I met an open micer, and I was like, oh, fuck, there are open micers. It's not just, like, Louis C.K. and no one, you know? And that's something in my head was like, yeah, like, regular people aren't allowed to do comedy. I met an open micer, demystified it, and then I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to do comedy. And I wrote like, a collection of, sort of, say, stories and things that i told people, and I was like, I've got an hour. This is going to be sweet, like, I really genuinely thought I had an hour of stuff that would work on stage. <laughs> um, but so, so I spent, like, say, three, four, five months, like, working on this. Uh, and then this gig sort of came up, and I was like, all right, it's my first time up. And then I did, like, say, five minutes. It went all right, but it was... It was not fucking good. <laughs> like, it went good for the crowd, and I think crowds for the first time is often really nice. Mm. And there was friends of mine that came and stuff as well, so they are always too friendly. But when I look back at the stuff that I did, like, it just embarrasses me at this point. And I think that's true for all this. us. Yeah, Yeah. Same. What, so what's the thing you went to the exchange,
0: to America for? What did you oh, um, for
1: America? I spent, like, eight years or so at university. Because mm. at the time, I was studying to be, a, a, like, a scientist. Like, a, I was studying, like, genetics and neuroscience and stuff there was just uh, an opportunity to do an exchange to the states and the, we have this thing in australia called hex i think it might be called something else now essentially the government gives you like an interest-free loan mm. to go to university so i think you do a thing here maybe where it's not interest-free in mm. the uk it's changing a bit now but like the system has been that you just get a bunch of money all your fees sort of get covered And then on top of that, we have, I guess you call it, a government assistant branch of the government. It's Mm -hmm. called Centrelink. For students, there's like a specific pay thing. So you get not only your fees covered, but then the government just gives you free money to live on for the whole time you're studying, Mm -hmm. which is pretty great. And so I was doing that, and I was working as well. But then this opportunity came to do an exchange. And what I found out was you could, in addition to the fact they cover the exchange fee, um, you get like seven grand money where they go, here you go. This is what you have. And it just all gets tacked onto your Hex, debt, which, again, is interest-free. And it used to be, and this was my plan, it used to be that if you moved out of Australia and didn't earn a bunch of money in Australia, you never paid it back. And so I was going to steal my education, mm. steal this money, <laughs> and then leave, and then make money overseas, and never pay it back. But they've now brought in this—we have to pay it back wherever you work, which is shit. But now that I'm a comedian, oh, I really run an end run <laughs> around that system because I make fuck all. Mm. Like, I'm 18 grand in debt to my girlfriend, you know? Mm-hmm. Like... Then I get that money back.
0: And so you're a scientist in neuroscience, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was doing my doctorate in neuroscience. Like, I studied genetics and molecular biology and biomedical science undergraduate. And I did my honours thesis in biomedical science. I was doing my doctorate in neuroscience. Sort of, I started doing comedy during my honours year. During my doctorate, like, first, like, two years of that, I kind of, the comedy started taking more and more like, over my life, and I just started doing the doctorate less and less and less, mm-hmm. but I was still getting paid to be a doctoral student, mm-hmm. which is pretty good. Uh, but I would just go to the lab and write dick jokes. Yeah. And then they would be like, hey, why isn't your, your thesis progressing? And I was like, listen, you don't you understand. Don't I did quite an open mic a <laughs> couple of nights ago. Like, it's going pretty well. I and mean, they're like, yeah, but you have to you have an obligation to us." And uh, eventually I, I was just like, oh, I want to leave. Mm-hmm. And uh, therefore I had sort of done like let's say two years worth of work towards a three, four year thesis. My supervisor at the time when I was like, listen, I've got to go and do comedy full time. This is like, actually might be an option. Mm -hmm. She sort of sat me down and she wasn't angry, but she was just like, listen, it kind of reflects badly on like our department. If you don't finish. And so you've kind of done enough work here that you could write it up as a master's and we submit it as a master's. You get a master's in neuroscience and it just sort of makes us not look like fucking idiots for accepting a comedian, in which anyone would be. You should never rely on a comedian for shit. <laughs> and so I, I sort of wrote up the master thesis as a, almost a favor, and it just sort of scraped by the examiners. Uh, like it's two examiners: one person who wasn't really that familiar with the field, like their notes on it was like, "Oh, it's amazing, groundbreaking, so gr- so fantastic work." And then another guy who was like a specialist in the field was like, "Listen, this is almost unacceptable." And, like, it's written well, but you've kind of done nothing. And I was, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, but then like, at the end, it was like, but, you know, okay, you can leave and yeah. we'll just accept it. And so everyone was very pleased. But now I do have a master in neuroscience that I have no use for. Ah. Like, there's, there's really nothing I'm ever going to do with that. Yeah, so callbacks to it in, in, in the whole thesis at the end. The conclusion. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially my thesis, right, if I were to summarise my thesis, because mm-hmm. um, what I was studying is that I was trying to find a way to regenerate the central nervous system in humans. So, for instance, to make spinal cord injury and paraplegia and stuff from that, a thing of the past. Would have been great if I would finished it, right? Mm -hmm. But essentially my thesis reads, I tried a bunch of shit, it didn't work, science is real hard. That's pretty much the whole thesis, yeah. And so that second guy was very right and very nice, Mm. To pass it, but I think maybe my supervisor like, called him up and was like, listen, he's not going to do any more work. Like, mm. if you tell him to go back and do more stuff, like, this is just done. Like He's not even going to be a researcher. Just pass him and mm. and we'll get him out. So like, you went to comedy, the honourable profession, rather than like fixing spinal injuries. That's certainly a show in that, isn't it? Well, I mean, I don't know who's showing know? it. I mean, I will say there's a bunch of people in wheelchairs yeah. uh, who are not walking around right now because I went to <laughs> oh, comedy. No. But, you know, they say laughter's best medicine. Right? Yeah, yeah, and, no, um, no, not for those guys. Not yeah. for back injury. No, no. no definitely. <laughs> it's a to laughter. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, you got your master's mm-hmm.
1: and you did your first gig and it went well and... And you've been living in Perth now, and you also run the Nasty Show, is that right? Myself and a few comics, we run a, like, a production company in, in Perth called Infinite Jest Comedy. Yeah, a couple of years ago, we sort of came up with this concept. Well, I stole the concept show from Montreal, because there's the Nasty Show in Montreal. It's like a very famous show. It's run for 20 years or whatever. My main writing partner, Glenn uh, Grimwood, he writes. He just naturally writes filthy, filthy, filthy like horrific stuff. And he always dials it back for club gigs or whatever. And he's really funny he comic, does really well. But he was very frustrated a, like a couple of years back, like coming up to Perth Fringe. And he was just, you know, like, he was, doesn't have an outlet for this stuff. Like he's written so much on this. And he's like, there's no, audiences never want to hear these kinds of things. Like they just pull back from when he tries. So we set up this, this show mainly just so he would have a forum where we were just like, okay, what if we just do this show that the whole point of the show is that it's fucked. Right, and then if we advertise it that way, then the only people who come will be fucked people. That'd be like a safe place for horrible human beings. <laughs> uh, and if we do that, then, you know, you just do your thing. And then he was like, oh, I, I guess, maybe. And he's always very reluctant to do like gigs and, and all that kind of thing. And so I'm always pushing him to do things. And he sort of half agreed that that was okay in principle. And then the next day I called him up and I was like, hey, man, I registered the show. I paid it. It's called The Nasty Show. You're hosting and it's happening. He was furious at me. He was like, well, I don't want to fucking do this. Mm-hmm. Like, you put so much on my shoulders now. And I was like, no, it'll be fine. And in the end, like, we got someone else to host a night, and then I hosted a night. And, like, he only had to host one of them. But it was great. Like, it went gangbusters. It sold out every night of its run Mm. in Perth Fringe. And, like, we made a bunch of money, which we didn't expect. And it turns out there was just this untapped market in Australian festival scenes, I guess, for just, like, a really dirty, filthy show. Mm. And we were trying to find a name that wasn't the nasty show, because that's from Montreal. Mm. But we kind of couldn't find anything that, that really... Spoke to exactly mm. the tone, you know, that was mm. as good a word. And so we ended up registering the trademark in Australia. So now we're fine legally. Oh, great. Uh, it's all good and, <laughs> and we're unethical but legally covered. <laughs> but yeah, so we did that the first year at Perth Fringe and then like that went great. And then we got it into this other festival that comes to Perth called the it Perth Comedy Festival, which is like a few months later did it there, it went great there. This year, we did it again in Perth, it quadrupled in size in terms of like tickets and mm-hmm. stuff. They just gave us a huge venue and we like packed it out and made a bunch of money again, did the Perth Comedy Festival again, took the to Sydney Comedy Festival and did great there. Mm-hmm. And like now, what we're going to do is like next year, we're going to also go to the Melbourne Comedy Festival, maybe Adelaide, mm-hmm. and we're probably going to bring it here to Edinburgh next year as well. Mm-hmm. So we're having a great time. It's like, I definitely want to come back next year. But it's this cool example of how like if you just do what you want to do in comedy, I think, or of anything in life, but if you do a thing you're passionate about and then you'll do it better than you would do other things that you're not passionate about. Mm. And then there'll be someone that appreciates that because mm. we could have just kept trying to work into the club system mm-hmm. for, you know, the stuff that they wanted, like the main, the best paying geek in Perth, the guy who runs it really is a fan of people doing clean comedy right. or cleanish and doing the same act Again, over and over again, he's like, he wants a predictable thing for his audience, he doesn't want anyone to get offended, mm-hmm. and so we really, like, in Perth, there's, there's some sort of cachet to doing that gig and mm-hmm. stuff, so we, we were always, when we first came out, be like, how do we get into that gig, mm-hmm. you know, but we, I'm not super dirty, but I'm, I'm not clean by any stretch, and like you know my, my friend is really funny but like he loves really filthy stuff and like we just were like what do we do you don't have to get into the thing that, that you think you have to mm-hmm. if you just make something for yourself australia's a big place right it is it is, the differences it is yeah. in gigging around australia where's the where's
0: the nastiness most rife if you like you know where where does dirty stuff go down the best in the in the country well you, do
1: you mean like like versus cities or whatever yeah, or yeah go v- for the big Here's cities the thing, there's filthy people in every city great yeah yeah um I, um, yeah, because I, 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 yeah, I've done a bunch of gigs like in, in most cities in Australia. I think in general, there's not a huge cultural divide mm. between places. Mm. Really, that was like a, a real test when we took it to Sydney. We, okay, we started this in Perth where we sort of have a fan base, we run a weekly show, mm. and that, that gives you a nice little leg up in terms of getting an audience in. We thought, like, we'll try it in Sydney and we'll see what happens, we'll probably lose money, we thought. Because I was taking my solo show there as well, and I was like, listen, just come with me, Glenn, Mm. and we'll try it, and we'll see what happens. Mm. The first show, we had 15 people in a 200-seater, and it was tough. It actually was okay. It was way better than it sounds. Like, uh, (laughs) obviously, it's brutal. Yeah. Um, And, I I, like, when we saw them come in, and we were Mm. like, fuck, this is going to be the worst, right? Mm. I was emceeing it as well. Mm. But, like, I brought everyone to the front, and I was like, listen... This mm. is what it is, blah, blah, blah. And, mm. I saw, and I I did a good job setting it up. And we had actually like, really great acts on and stuff that were in Sydney for the festival. Because like, all, like, all the best people in the country go to that festival. And the show was actually kind of okay. Mm. And then the next show, which was uh, the next day, we had like 55 in the same venue. Mm-hmm. The next week was the final two shows. We only do it on Fridays and Saturdays. It was sold out both days. And it was just this great thing of nobody knew it and then some people came and they enjoyed it and they told some people mm. and then more people came and they enjoyed it and they told some people and no one else is doing that show yeah so it's this thing of like once it filters to the people who want that mm-hmm. well then they become really like almost loyal like really loyal fans to it because mm. they haven't gotten that from anywhere else you know like there's plenty of people who will do offensive stuff mm. but people who are like really want that and specifically that mm-hmm. it's like there's nowhere to go to get it. So as soon as we realize we we're onto something, we we're like, okay, we have to roll this out to every festival before other people like beat us to the punch. So we want to control all dirt in Australia. Nice. <laughs> so, would you, what, so you' gigging over here now? Do you find yep. any
0: major difference between gigging here and gigging in Australia?
1: I mean, it's interesting because I mean, it's a festival, right? So it's it's always going to be different than how it probably is throughout the year. Mm. Cultural differences. I'm not like super y mm. in my act or whatever, but like I have a joke that references pants in the Australian definition of that meaning trousers, and I've been doing it, and I only realised today, like, not even on stage, where I was just listening to a podcast, and I went, oh, shit, really? And I've I've been telling people a joke about my, like, that references my underwear, by mistake, you know? Because you guys have a stupid word for underwear, which is pants, and that's what you wear on your whole legs, and you guys are wrong. But, yeah, there's just, there's word choice things, Mm -hmm. probably, you know, cultural assumptions and things go into things as well, but, like, I have another joke that references, like, a Huntsman spider, which is a very... Australian sort of thing to run into in your backyard. Overall it's been more or less the same. Like mm-hmm. my hope for, my goal with my material and stuff is that it's pretty universal. Mm-hmm. Like I, if, I, if I find stuff only really works with a certain crowd Apart from Dirt. Like, if you're not cool with Dirt, you can get the fuck out of my audience. (laughs) But yeah, if I find stuff like only works with a certain crowd because it's maybe real specific or it's really specific to me and and my experience, I kind of get rid of it even if I like it. Even if it works really well with a specific crowd, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I, I want to be able to work for... Every audience and everywhere, mm-hmm. and this is the first time i geeked outside of the country. Like I've lived in a bunch of different countries, but I was never in comedy, so it's, it was really interesting. I was, I, I assumed it would be, more, it would be more problematic to come to Edinburgh. I thought there'd be way more things that I would have to change, and it's been more or less alright. you put your mm. performer from a very young age? I guess were you, like I did drama in high school. Mm. And I did. Do you call it O levels, like the final uh, sort O-levels, of exams and stuff? O levels are well over here. O levels. What's like the final year stuff that yeah, gets yeah. you into university? Is that mm-hmm. O levels?
0: In, in Ireland, it's in Ireland it's Leaving Cert, but in, okay. over here it's O levels. Okay. And you have like you have you have in junior sir in Ireland and in in this country it's GCSEs. Okay. Cool. But, yeah.
1: o levels. Well, all that stuff. Yeah. That. Yes. Yeah so. yeah. so in my like final year of of high school. Because they're like all the, the, the subjects that you sort of, like, you get your final exams and stuff. And, like, that's what gets you entrance into university and stuff mm-hmm. depending on how you do. Um, so, yeah, I did drama, like, in my final year. Not because I was like, I want to be doing performance... But just because I was like, well, that's some fucking easy grades right there, mm. you know? Like, just do a monologue and whatever. And, like, also a lot of pretty girls do drama. And I mm. was like, well, hang on pretty girls. Turns out, like, then they just see you as a friend. Mm. So it didn't really work out. You want to do sports and shit, and then they're like, you. Yeah. But, yeah, so I did drama in high school, and I was, like, in the high school play and stuff and, like, uh, musicals and shit. Mm. Um, but then I didn't do any performance for 10 years. Because I started comedy, like, I started comedy like, 29 and I always sort of tried to be a sort of funny person or like, you know, like I can uh jokes and funny stories and stuff to tell people. That's how it got laid and stuff is like, just by being silly and fun. It's like, I'm not a big, strong man. I'm not impressive in that way, but if I can entertain you for long enough, <laughs> then maybe we'll have sex <laughs> yeah, yeah. at some point because you enjoy being around me. And so I was always that kind of person. And I just loved stand up and, and like watched a lot of it. Yeah. As I said before, like I kind of didn't think I was allowed. There was no career path for in, in us or... Like- I didn't know there was stand-up in Perth and did you okay. I did not know there right. was, there existed the opportunity to get up I also I only had like a sort of just a very uh, woolly idea of even what open mics were you know at that, at that time mm-hmm. stand-up now permeated everywhere everyone knows where everything is mm-hmm. say like from when I was 19 to 29 when I started mm-hmm. it wasn't until maybe say 2627 that I really knew what an open mic was. Mm-hmm. And even then, I never thought it would be in Perth or any there would be anything there. And, like, there was not many clubs, but mm-hmm. there was, like, you know, a club or two really the whole time I was interested in it. And I could have started way earlier. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't know there was an opportunity. And then when I got back and there was that gig at the university, like, I met people there. And I was like, hey, where do you do comedy? And they mm-hmm. said, you should contact this place, contact that place. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, like, then I, I was like, great, okay. And at that point, I met my open micer. And then I'd gotten told where I could perform. And so I, I could start. So Sex, Lies and Video Games, that's your first show, right? Uh, no, this is... Well, this is... That's the title from my first show. Sure. This is my second show. Mm. So I did that my... That was last year, start of the year. Like, uh, the Perth Fringe is, like, February. Mm. Uh, so I did the, I did it then. And this is, that was Sex, Lies and Video Games. And it was, like, probably... I think I used an opener for 10 minutes. And then I planned to do 40... And I probably did 33. Some of it was good, and some of it was just there to fill time. Like, it was halfway through, I did a, I fucking did a costume change, and I came out as a character. I did, like, four minutes of stand-up as a character called topical, non-topical comedian. And the whole premise of the character was he'd been alive for, like, a thousand years, and he wrote topical comedy jokes really slowly. And then so he would do jokes f- from throughout history... As topical comedy, hey, you hear about this black plague thing? Mm-hmm. People keep talking about black plague. I get real comfortable with people talking about black plague. I, I think you should call it plague of color, like that mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm. And It was dumb. <laughs> it was real dumb. And also the fact that I ran off stage to change into a blazer mm-hmm. and then come back on was stupid. But I needed to fill time, honestly. Mm. Like I just, I like, I as it was, it was still a few minutes shy. Really, where it should have been, it should have been mm. a 15 minute show. It was like. You know, 40, 45. But there were some things in it that were good, for sure. And it was really just to get out of the way and be doing comedy for a longer format. Mm-hmm. At the time in Perth, there were, there were way less clubs than there are now. And there was, was a limited amount of stage time. And, this, and doing a show was a way to just get a bunch of stage time. You know, mm-hmm. like you do four or five nights of 50 minutes. And not that I was doing 50, but then that's what? That's 200, 250 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's a bunch of five-minute spots, you know, that you're getting in a real mm. short period of time. And sure, you have to pay some money or whatever. I oh, mean, I kind of broke even on the show, but, but like, I plan to spend the money. But it's worth it. It's an investment. And so that was my first show. This year in Perth Ranger, I did a show called Smug Face... Because I have kind of a smug face. I know the feeling with that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You were pretty too. I have a smug fucking face. Yeah, as well. yeah, exactly. And Is so it? yeah, so I have like yeah. a smug face. I used to, I used to have a joke. <laughs> I used to have a joke about it. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's a great name for a show, blah blah blah. Uh, yeah. But it turns out it wasn't a great name for a show. It's mm-hmm. great, maybe a good name for like an album sure. title mm-hmm. if you already have a crowd. What I learned that Fringe was that when people see a show called Smug Face, they think well, I probably won't like that person. Why would I buy a ticket? And then, uh, so it was really hard to get people in, even though it was a much better show. it was a way better comedian, better known. Uh, it was much harder to get people in that year, just for that ti- like this year, for that title. Um, and so then when I went to Adelaide, it was too late to change it, and I, I, I did it as Smug Face and stuff. But then people on the show were like, why should I, like, literally asking me, why should I come to the show? And I was like... Mm. I actually don't have a good answer for you and stuff, so then uh when I went to Sydney, I just went okay i'll call it sexizing video games because that's sold tickets, mm. but it'll be the new show because I never do like narrative stuff mm. it's just all my stand up so yeah, so the sh- the show title I'm bringing is the first title mm. but it's it's all the news newest to best stuff I have mm. currently best stuff. Yeah, yeah. But essentially, I think that's what I'm always going to do. And maybe at some point I'll do a narrative show. But certainly next year, it's only going to be like my best stuff, which hopefully is all just my newest stuff. You know, like this show that I'm using reuses like the, say, let's say seven minutes from that first show. Mm. That was great. It's the closer and a bit that there's a callback to and more or less everything else is new but it's like that it was just a re- it's just a really good closer and stuff and so I was like you know I'm, nobody in Edinburgh has seen me before it, they don't know that I'm reusing stuff it's fine I'll just give them the best show I can give them mm-hmm. but yeah next year obviously I've got to have all new because it's I'm going to be touring the cities I've been before so mm. you're saying that you were used to tell you know you're telling stories to to ladies to you know to, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to you know have your way just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. just to confuse them yeah, smoke and mirrors yeah. yeah while like a hand creeps over their leg, like.
0: yeah, yeah exactly uh, so okay what's your best story that you would, uh, would like Would you would like oh this is okay alright this is the this, this, this situation's not going so well okay this is the one not, this is the goal this isn't anything that happens after this
1: I do I've given the best story you know oh, there's act unknown. outs and everything in it like, it's a 20 minute story though like legitimate. great alright well, let me alright <laughs> So the first time I did uh, Magic Mushrooms, Mm. I had never done them before and I was with a group of like, say, 16 people and we'd all never done them before and there was one guy in the group that knew. Mm. There's this place, like, a couple hours drive, like, down south from, like, Perth City called uh, Bailing Up and, like, mushrooms just grow there and, Mm. like, people drive down and they pick them and they do their trips and stuff, right? So we we all piled in two cars and we went down there and then we're all, like... Looking through these fields and no one knew what they looked like. So everyone's like, just picking up random shit and running up to the guy and be like, "Is this the magic mushroom?" He's like, "No, that'll kill you. Don't eat that. Like, that's just cow shit. You know, like, don't eat that." And then like, we ended up like, we we got like pretty big bag of mushrooms and we drove back up and he cleaned them all off and then we we're all in this friend's house and he he portioned them all out for everyone. He said, "Okay, everybody, I've put this in two piles for each of you. This is a good trip and then this is another good trip. So you both got enough for two good trips. So you eat you half and then put the other half away. Eat it later." so we all ate the first half and then like half an hour went by 40 minutes went by and I was just like yeah I'm not really feeling it yet and the guy had left <laughs> and so and we're like yeah not feeling it Yeah, it doesn't really seem to be working like you know I guess they're not as strong as he thought they would be or whatever and so then we all collectively decide, okay we should all just eat our second batch mm-hmm. because obviously you know we all the wrong amount of mushrooms to take is not enough and so <laughs> we all eat our second batch and then like say 10-15 minutes goes by and like the first batch now comes on and we're all having a great time and, like, I'm laying on the couch and, like, Jimi Hendrix is playing. And I can see, like, the treble clefts like, moving oh, through the yeah, air and nice. stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Yeah. A friend of mine, like, he's walking around the room and he walks up. He sort of, he looks to the left, looks to the right, and then he sits down next to me. And he stares at me and he says, hey, Jess, I'm stuck in a loop. And he looks away and he looks back and so says, I'm stuck in a loop. And then he gets up and he walks around the room. And then I watch him like, he's doing, like, a like, a circuit, mm-hmm. like, and he's got little points, like, it's like mm-hmm. six, seven different, like, almost, like, rest, like, little stops on his tour, and then he comes down next to me, he looks left, he looks right, sits down, looks at me once, says, Jess, I'm stuck in a loop, looks away, <laughs> looks back, <laughs> stuck in a loop, and then he's just doing this for a while, and then another friend comes up, and he's like, hey, man, like, I just created an extra finger on my hand, I have six fingers <laughs> on my hand now, and I was like, that's real cool, man, like, I'm real high, and then... <laughs> And then someone else, someone calls out. It's just like, hey, uh, a friend of ours uh, is having his twenty-first birthday party just down the street. He's having a big house party. We have to go and see him. It's his birthday. Like we can't just be like we took mushrooms We we didn't come with bad friends. We did it and so and so people were like okay cool. And about half the group was like cool we can go, and half the group was just like nah it's just too much. You know, the guys in the loop he can't go anywhere. <laughs> He's got <no laughs> options. And so like I was one of the people that went. We went down the street. And we got to the party and stuff. And it was like a lot of people. It was, like say like two hundred people in this like big like backyard and stuff. DJ's playing and stuff. And it was a lot of stuff. And I started to get really scared right mm-hmm. and then I kind of don't remember the next thing that happened but I was told this later I was like s- sitting in this uh, kind of a thoroughfare room in the house where it was like dark and so, like you would just walk through it to get to where like the bathroom is mm-hmm. and I was huddled in the corner and like shivering just repeating to myself I have no conception of reality right now I have no conception and some people walked by and they were like "Oh, they, they kind of knew me and stuff mm. and they're like oh it looks like Jez is having a bad time and mm. this girl came up and said hey Jez are you okay and I said I have no conception of reality right now she said do you want me to take you somewhere private like like, mm. do you want me to like, put you in my bedroom and stuff and I was like and I was nodding and I was like yeah I have no conception of reality right now and she's like, okay, cool, I'm going to take you now. And she, like, took me to the bedroom. And she's like, you okay, you okay? And then I looked at her, like, like trying to, like, look through my eyes, like, thank you. And I was like, I have no of reality right now. <laughs> oh, like, no. thumbs up. Like, that's the only word I can say. Yeah. But I was still trying to communicate with her. She got it, and she was mm. fine, so she closed the door. And then uh, I was in there for a while, and I was kind of freaking out. And I, I, I like, I needed to have a shit. I was like, picking them in the door, and the bathroom's just out there. There's one bathroom in the house for the mm. party. I, I waited till the line th- thinned out. And then I went to the bathroom, I locked the door. And then I looked at the toilet paper, and then I looked at the window, and I looked at the chair, like the seat. Mm. And then I looked at the toilet paper, I looked at the window, <laughs> I looked at the seat, <laughs> I looked at the toilet paper, and I was like, oh no. Oh no, I'm stuck in a loop now, I can't kinda but I have to shit still and I'm like just looking mm. between these three things mm. and like while I'm doing this, because I can't stop doing this, it's like I, I start to like wrestle my pants down mm-hmm. around my ankles and stuff. But then because I'm like trapped, I can't like move mm. to to turn around against it and I slip over and then I start shitting on the floor. Oh, oh no. <laughs> And then I'm like, tra- I'm like trapped and sort of bicycle kicking and the shit and the shit's going everywhere and stuff. And people now are pounding on the no. door because there's only one one bathroom in a 200 fucking strong party. People are like, we need to go to the bathroom. And I'm like trapped in there. Like, I can't do shit. I'm trapped yeah. in the... Lo- I'm still on the floor Like looking yeah. at these three things. People start like actually break down the door because they're like, something's wrong, like fucked on drugs or whatever. Like, we need to see what's going on. So they break down the door and then people are slipping over in my shit. And they're horrified and terrified, and they're calling out, like, and, like, I can hear the disgust, and they're like, oh, this is, you know, you're, you're a horrible human being, and then, uh, like, it sounds like they're gonna kick the shit out of me or whatever, and some people come by, and they're like, they know me better, and they're like, oh, no, like, and then they carry me out of there, and I'm covered in shit, and my shit's getting on them, and, and they, like, throw me in the shower, and they shower me off, and then they put me back in the bedroom, and they close the door, and I wake up in the bedroom, and it's dark. <laughs> And I, I just like bring my hand to my, to my nose and I sniff and i yeah, oh, like, yeah, it's shit. Like I know. can smell shit. Yeah, so this, this just happened. Yeah. And then I, uh, I sort of like sneak to the door and it's, and it's still dark in the bedroom. I crack the door and there's a line uh, outside for the bathroom and stuff. And I'm like looking for anyone I know. And it's taken a while. Like I'm there for a few minutes. And it's like, because I've kind of newly been friends with a lot of these people, you know. Like I, I'm only good friends with a few people in this wide group of friends. And so then I see someone I know really well, and I'm like, hey, Sarah, Sarah, sh-. she's like, yeah, Jess, what's happening? You know, so I'm just peeking out through the door, and I'm like, hey, Sarah, I think I shit on everyone. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I, sh- I shit on everyone. I'm like, I shit. And then I got covered in my shit. And she's like, I didn't hear anything about that. And I was like, all right, but how long have you been at the party? She's like, oh, I just got here like 20 minutes ago. And I was like, well, this happened like half an hour ago. That's why you don't know about it. And she's like, listen, hang on a second. And I gotta go to the bathroom. She went to the bathroom, she comes back. And then she comes in the room and she's like, alright, listen, like, I think you may not have shit on everyone because I don't... I, like, I don't know anything about it. And I was like, no, just because, like, not people wouldn't talk about that now, you know? Like, And then she kind of coaxes me out of the room and I come out of the party and I like, walk out in the backyard. And everyone's normal. No one's... No one's cursing. No one's looking at me like I'm a horrible fucking troll person mm. or whatever. And, like, nothing seems to have happened, right? And it turns out that I hallucinated the entire thing... I never shit anywhere. But because I woke up in the room, and it was all consistent. It all just seemed like it happened. Like at that point, I wasn't high anymore. It just, I thought all this stuff had happened, right? And then I'm standing, I'm sort of just a little bit shivering. I got my arms crossed and I'm like, Jesus, has been a fucking rough trip, you know? And then mm. a guy comes up to me that I know real well. And he's like, hey, Jez, I hear a mushrooms for the first time. And I was like, look at me like, yeah. And he's like, you seem to be handling it really well, <laughs> and I just looked at him and I was like, oh, "I've got a really good mental image of you covered in my shit." You know, like, oh, shit. so I'll tell that story and then we'll bang on. <laughs> 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 like none of my stories make me look good. Like that's always been my role, even before I was in comedy. Mm-hmm. It's like you should never, you should never hide in reality to make yourself a winner Mm-mm-mm. because fuck you, you know. Like, totally. Yeah, and also I just think a story is more fun when you're a loser, you know. It's like it's like oh, I did this shit and all worked out. It's like, yeah. where's the? It's like uh, it's like Entourage. Like I love watching Entourage, mm-hmm. but I feel really guilty about that because there's no peril no. in the story. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's gonna be fine all mm-hmm. the time, and like and the, like nothing bad is ever really gonna happen, mm-hmm. and like that makes for a bad story, I think, in general. But somehow I love Entourage. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Mm, which is balance maybe because you are constantly making yourself look bad you <laughs> yeah sort of maybe yeah I guess yeah maybe on I'm the Johnny drama of that story <clears throat> Uh, it's, it's a good ref, by the way. <laughs> good on you. Good on you for not getting it. Uh,
0: it's okay.
1: Good it's on okay. you,
0: it's a bad show. I've been having this all week. <laughs> Some of my references are so old, I'm like, I'm leaving that in because I love it so much. Today I explained the re- reference, and I was like, fuck it. And I was like, this is a fucking great reference, guys. This is what happens in this bit. Okay? He makes a fucking sword, and that is
1: what happens. That is, that is it. So that is why it's a great reference, okay? Yeah. Didn't make it funnier. <laughs> no, but at least but, I, at least people aren't sitting there for thirty minutes being like, oh, "What was that reference?" Exactly. Which, which was my experience. Yeah. Mm. Do you tell any of these? Oh, stories? I mean, there's, there's a lot of them. But like that. Do, do you the tell one the one book, one. these drug stories on stage as well? Or? That one just now, I uh, just for the first time because like I had that well before I started comedy. Mm. That one I tried. Because I run this, like, Monday night show in Perth called Infinite Jets. like our flagship show. It's like, oh, it's an open mic, but we do. We sort of do cool stuff there sometimes. And we ran a show called uh, Shroom Fest for the holiday. Shroom Fest. Mm -hmm. Comic name Ari Shafir invented. And it's like a worldwide holiday with one weekend out of the year. Everyone who does mushrooms just does mushrooms on that weekend. Mm -hmm. We also join the Collective Unconscious, right? And so last year I thought, fuck it, I'll do a Shroom Fest show Mm -hmm. where everyone performs on mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And everyone I knew was like, that's stupid. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the way to ruin your show, like you'll, you'll, you'll go to jail. They're probably right. It's a very bad idea to do a show. (laughs) Uh, but I did it anyway and it was great. It was fucking Mm. sick. The night got real weird. Like people started stripping off clothes and stuff like, and they're increasing amounts of clothes throughout the night (laughs) by the, and so by the time I got to the headliner, the headliner came on with clothes Mm. and then he did 20 minutes in his underwear, like just his underwear. And I was like hosting it. And then I was like, well, it'd be weird if I go on with clothes now. So then I shipped down of my underwear and we came over and had like a naked hug to close the show. And it was great. It was super fun. And so I, we thought, okay, let's do Shroomfest again this year. Because it's Shroomfest and so many people who were coming or like pretty much everyone who came was at least familiar with mushrooms, if not an enthusiast. I sort of just did all mushroom material, you know, and like stuff about recent experiences. And then I thought, you know, what? I'll try this old story they used to tell to, to trick girls into having sex with me. <laughs> um, and yeah, I tried it there for the first time. That's the only time I've ever done it on stage. and It worked really well. I'm going to keep working on it and stuff. I think it'll be in my show next year. But yeah, I mean, most of the stuff I used to tell... I can't even really remember that well because mm. I've now been in a relationship for four and a half years and you don't have to impress people anymore. You don't, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. and it's also like I told her all the stories when we first got together. That's how I had sex with her. So she's heard them all. I can't tell them again. Mm. And so now it's been essentially four and a half, five years since I've needed to use any of these. Mm. And I think you just forget, like without retelling a story, mm. you forget the beats, you forget how it goes, you forget what's funny about it. You know, it's like if you didn't, don't do a bit. For two years. Mm. You can't just bring it back and have it be fresh. So I don't know. There's probably stuff I'll plumb out of there eventually. But it's like. I'd rather. I'd almost rather for material. Just to come up with new life experiences. And and it's more fresh you know. Like Mm. it's you experiencing it. Rather than like this old version of you. Which is a whole different person you know. You five years ago is a fucking idiot. You five years ago would never act you now would never act the way you five years ago mm-hmm. acted and it's, I almost don't want to have to defend that guy like <laughs> like he's a fucking moron yeah, you know yeah. like yeah every little bit of self-awareness goes oh god I hate myself even more like, yeah no yeah I mean it's, yeah, it's like being a stand-up as well mm. it's like every it's like you look at an interior you were doing six months ago and you're like why did I think that mm. was funny but they just don't get me yeah when yeah. I told that audience full of people to run out and get abortions <laughs> <laughs> I was pushing comedy forward. You're welcome, comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I took that one for you. <laughs>
0: so, you're, so you're family, right? Mm-hmm. You you're, you're might talk about your family. Are your family still so alive?
1: Yeah, some, well, some of them. Uh, so I'll say, I'll say this to you. Um, I used to say, just before I got into comedy, people asked about my um, parents. I mm. would say that both my parents have passed away. Sure. Now, father has passed away. Uh, and we had a great relationship. Uh, mm. my mother, when I was 19, passed beyond the level of insanity that I chose to keep her as like a, as a relevant entity and I just stopped talking to her, right? So she's mm. still, she's still around and stuff, but she's just a crazy person, right? Mm. Like, after my girlfriend and I started getting serious, I sat her down and she's only had one boyfriend before and he mm. cheated on her. And I sat her down, Like a few months after we really started getting serious and I said, baby, I have a confession. Mm. And she looked real scared. And she thought, uh, she told me later, she thought either I had given her herpes or AIDS or I was cheating on her. <laughs> and I sat her down and I was like, I have a confession. I'm like, I'm real, I like to be honest and stuff all the time. And, and so, baby, I have to tell you this. And I really hope you're not mad and stuff. And she really was like, what the fuck has this guy given me? What has he done to me? And I was like, so I told you uh, my mother was dead. She's actually just crazy. And I do not talk to her anymore. And she was like, thank God, <laughs> like, that's the best news you could have given me uh, because I hadn't like completely fucked over her life. I don't talk to my mother anymore. My, uh, my brother, like uh, quite close with, like mm. he kept a relationship with her for about five, six years longer than me. Mm. But then like when he had kids and stuff, she started doing some crazy shit. Mm. Like she's a, what do you call it, Pathological liar. Yeah. So she, she's like broken, right? She mm-hmm. can't decide to tell the truth. She just has to lie to mm. everyone all the time. And so, yeah, she started trying to, like, turn his kids against him. Like, she would tell them lies Mm -hmm. about him and their mother and Mm -hmm. stuff to, like... Because she wants everyone to love her. Power. Yeah, well, so she had, like, a real rough childhood, right? Mm -hmm. She was born in India... Uh, and, um... Is your your mom Indian, or...? She is, uh, what they call Anglo-Indian. Okay. Where, um, she's, like, a mixture, like, she's, she's... uh, Look at my mother, you'd be like, she's white, Mm -hmm. essentially. But then to look at my grandmother, you're like, oh, okay, I see, like, a substantial amount of Indian blood. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, like, the grandmother marry like an Armenian guy who's like top tier whites, but sure. they're white. She married an Armenian guy. So then my, uh, my mother looks pretty much white. Mm-hmm. And then some of her siblings look a little bit darker. Mm. Yeah. And then m- more or less, I'm like, probably, I-, I guess like an eighth or a 16th mm-hmm. Indian or something like that. Christian or Sikh? Uh, they uh, are Anglican, which I think is okay. a pretty, I think it's a pretty low rent kind of. On, like, the guilt thing. Uh, my dad uh, was an atheist, and, like, a very avowed atheist, mm. but I went to, like, Catholic school and stuff. Mm. And so, like, he would come to the events, say, Confirmational and, and like, uh, First Communion all that kind of stuff, but then he would stand outside, mm. and then he would just be there. But and, like, I'd just, just go and see him afterwards. Mm. And, like, my parents were together and stuff at the time, but, like, he just didn't want to come to the church because he didn't want to validate... That kind of thing. Mm. And like that was actually, but, because I'm an atheist uh, also. I like to say that I was raised Catholic, therefore I'm an atheist, mm-hmm. because Catholicism is fucking bullshit. <laughs> the original sin <scene> is <laughs> the stupidest oh, yeah, thing totally. in the world. Like, uh, you can't be like, oh, you were born? Mm-hmm. Well, now you fucking owe me, because mm-hmm. I'm God. I mean, it's definitely true that because like a major figure in my life, being my father, uh, was an atheist, even though he never sort of pushed it at me, mm-hmm. it sort of uh, allowed me to realize there were options outside of... Religiosity, mm-hmm. and my mother was never like religious. She just wanted people to see that we were religious. So she's big on uh, perception, and mm-hmm. and like and growing up in India, like that's a whole thing about like class and the perception mm-hmm. of class. Because her child was rough. Mm. Like, the family had a, had servants and stuff, right? Because you've got to have servants. And you, and you also, the Anglo-Indian community has got this whole thing of, like, trying to be as white and mm-hmm. British as possible. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be Indian. You want to be, like, British and stuff. And so, what happened was the family like sort of had a downturn economically. And then they couldn't afford to keep a servant and send her to school. Mm. So, they took her out of school. Mm. Because it was much more important that the neighbours, so they still had servants. And so that was the kind of value placed on her, you know, as a girl child in India and stuff and in that kind of family. And then she had this brutal thing happen. And then, because, you know, it's all about perception, they were like, you're lying. They never accepted that it happened. I they like you know I talk anything about this so that that broke my mother right like so that that's what turned her into like gave her whatever problems she has like uh, mm. emotionally or mentally whatever you'd, you'd say because at that point no one's on your side everyone's betrayed you mm. no one cares about you so mm. she was always just looking for an out of the family and the whole family moved to Australia she real been pretty and stuff so she once she goes to Australia she's like a teenager or whatever she's like Right, how do I get out of this family? Mm. And so she met my father. She was like, hey, I love you or whatever. And he was like, great, cool. Like, he didn't know there was any this problem. And he's like, oh, <laughs> awesome, cool, let's get married and stuff. So, like, they got married, but, like, because of all this trauma, so she would have to drink to oblivion to have sex, right? Mm. And that's real rough on my father, obviously, because it's like, oh, my wife has to, like, pass out unconscious for me to mm. have sex with her and stuff. But she really wanted kids, because she wanted girls. Mm. She wanted she wanted allies against the world, the patriarchy, the people who hurt her and stuff. Mm. She would grit her teeth and, and drink till she was busy in consciousness, mm. right? And then she conceived and my brother came along and she was like, fuck, mm. another dude. I don't like dudes, right? And so a few years went by and she was like, let's try again. I don't know what I like, but I really want a girl. And then so she uh, conceived again and I came along. And so all the earliest pictures of me and my brother of us in dresses with long curly hair because she really, really wanted a girl, which is interesting. But then so growing up, like eventually like they split because it was a really unhealthy uh, marriage and stuff. Yeah, growing up, she would lie to everyone and blah, 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 blah. One point she stole us from the father. Like she picked me up from school one day. I mean, this is getting... No, 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 no. I'm happy to go wherever you want to No, 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 go. no, that's fine, buddy. But, um, um yeah, she, yeah. she picked me up from school one day. I was picked up me and my brother. And she just drove a different place. Like, she drove a different direction. And I was like, hey, why? why are we going home? Like, home is that way and stuff. She was like, no, we're not going home. We're never going home again. <laughs> <laughs> but I literally walk <laughs> out with my school bag and, like, that's it. Fuck. Right? And so we went to a women's shelter. She told... Uh, I want to say here, this might sound like I have bias or whatever, but like, I've since gotten the full story from everything right before uh, my father died. And really, uh, but she told them that, like, oh, he's beaten me and all this kind of stuff, but it was all made up out of whole cloth. Uh, and she admitted as much, like, uh, years later. But she just, like, wanted an out. So, like, then there was this whole thing of, you know, suing for custody and all kind of stuff, and the way the court systems were at the time, you just go with the mother more or less. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, then my brother and I didn't see our father for, like, four years. I think I was probably, let's say, from, like, nine to 13 so not an important developmental time for a child at all. Just for, for a boy uh, who was raised a girl for a little while. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I didn't see I didn't see him for for years. And then like every now and then we'd like run into him in weird places, like we'd be down in the local supermarket or whatever, and we'd just see our dad. He'd be like, "Oh my god, it's so great to see you!" And then like we'd have this whole catch up, and then he would give us like a year's worth of allowance of like five like give five dollars a week. And he would just say, he would be like, wait here. And he would go and get like, a, like 55s and be like, this is for you and this is for you. And then, like, we'd sort of catch up and stuff. And eventually, like, they started to repair having some kind of relationship, functional relationship, but not be together, but just to have a soul in mm-hmm. the in each other's lives and things. And my father, like, would pay for, a lot, you know, a lot of uh, our education and, and, like, dentistry and all that kind of stuff, you know, like, to just to be a father. Yeah. And so, yeah, then after those few years and stuff, my brother and I both got very close to my father. I lived with him for a few years. Like, like I moved out of home. We initially actually got my mother to move out. of the home that my brother and I and her lived in. We got her to move out with her boyfriend at the time. And my brother and I stayed and we rented it. And so I I was like, uh, say, 17, 18. Hmm. After that, like, I moved away and I came home and, like, I I stayed with my dad for, like, a year or so. And, like, we just sort of... Uh, live together and it was partly to sort of maybe make up for lost time a little Mm -hmm. bit but yeah he was he was a great dude yeah really interesting cat and and really smart really smart guy yeah very much influenced like a lot of things uh, despite those years absence that's great man glad you had time to catch up with him man what did he do before he ever, like, met my mother, he was a jailbird. Oh. I only found out about this when I was, like, 20. He sat me down and he's like, I've got some stuff to tell you. I was like, have you given me herpes? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but he was like, no, I've got some stuff to tell you. And, um... <laughs> um but, yeah, it, it turns out, like, a, like he, he even he had, like, a... A child, with a woman previously, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when he was say nineteen twenty, he had the problem that I had when I was nineteen or twenty, which is that he assumed he was the smartest dude in any room, which is problematic mm. because you, you, sometimes you might be right, but then a bunch of times you'd be wrong. Mm. And so he worked for a bank, and then he thought, oh, I reckon I can embezzle money from this bank. And then he he tried, and he got caught. He went away for six months, right? And then uh, while he was in jail. He met a bunch of people who were like, hey, man, do you want to learn how to steal cars? And he was like, sure, I do. And then he got out and then he stole cars and then got caught for that. And then he went away for like a year. And then while he was in, he met a bunch of people who do break and enters. And they were like, hey, you want to like join our crew when we get out? And he was like, yeah, cool. And then he got out and then he was doing B&E's. And while he was doing that, then he met this woman and they got together and, and uh, they conceived a child. And then he got caught for breaking enters because it's like now it's third offense and stuff and escalating crimes. They're like, you're going to jail for seven years. He went to jail. The baby's not born at this point. He, the woman he's with came to jail to see him and she said, listen, you're not going to have a relationship with this child. And so that was it. He never saw her again. Then he went to jail for seven years and he was like, I should probably stop escalating crimes. And then he got out and he just started his whole life again didn't hear from this person years later like i think the reason maybe it came up when i was 20 was like she like the the child had gotten in contact with him she was like hey i want to reconnect with you and stuff and so he was like hey all well, this stuff is coming back we you should probably know about all these things but i never knew this like as when i was growing up as far as i knew my dad was straight out straight as an arrow never lied never stole never did anything <laughs> wrong and then when i and like i would get i would stole like a, a 10 cent uh piece of like Like three flavored chewing gum from the supermarket one time when I was like seven. And he found out, and he got furious, and then he took me to the store, and he sat me out with the manager, and the manager told me I was going to go to jail, mm. and, like, scared the shit out of me, and then, like, never stole another thing in my life. And then, at 20, he was like, yeah, so I did all these crimes, right? And I was uh, I was in prison for ages, and then told me the to was that prison. And I was like, fuck you yeah, for telling me off totally. for stealing chewing gum. You're a piece of shit. <laughs> He's trying to be a good dad, but, like, fuck him, man. Yeah, That's not yeah. fair. That's false pretenses. Yeah. But, like, yeah, he had some really interesting experiences in jail. Like, at one point, there was a hit out on him. This guy thought that my dad had ratted him out mm. And my dad says he didn't run him out As far as I know But the guy was going to kill him So like my dad like connived his way into protective custody somehow And then he was in protective custody for like a year And he's playing cards with the guy And my father folds And then the guy like shows him his hand And as my father tells me He's like and that's when I knew he wasn't going to kill me. And I was like, "Is that really enough evidence?" But he's like, "No, in prison, that's how it goes and stuff. Apparently, if you show your hand to someone, you know, you're no longer going to have a hit out on them." And then he was just fine after that, and he did the rest of his time. He got out, and then he just restarted his whole life. Met my mother, and, and you know, the rest is that. But uh, but yeah, it was yeah, it was really interesting to find that out. You dad had an interesting life, uh, but that's, it's, it's no shitty like the fact that you know you give dad like three
0: flavored chewing gum. And, and, like, and then when you're 20, he goes, oh, by the way, so <laughs> I've done all this. And you go, what have you got yeah. to compare it? Yeah, like, by the way, no. I am I
1: embezzled as a startup <laughs> oh, Fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And, and so what's your bro do? Oh, uh, he's a teacher. Do you enjoy that? He does. I think... Because you've doing it for a long time. It? Mm-hmm. Probably 10 years. I think probably you get a little bit tired of any industry because he's got kids. Like, they're great kids and I love being an uncle Mm because I can visit and don't have to deal with anything else. Mm -hmm. i just be like, ah, I'm bored now and I go home. I don't know. I think in a perfect world or or in a world where he he didn't have responsibilities, he probably would just, he would probably leave it at this point Mm -hmm. and do something else but he's very good at it. His kids love him. The weird thing is now he's been doing it long enough that he's taught, like, children who have grown up to be hot chicks because I've I, I mentioned this before, but, like, I hosted this adults-only circus thing mm. uh, a few weeks back, or, like, a couple months back now. There were, like, dancing girls in it, like, hot, hot girls mm. in lingerie and stuff, dancing around. And uh, my brother came to one of the shows. I gave him some, like, comp tickets or whatever, and I was, like, I was, like, the MC. One of the dancing girls, who I was, like, being like, oh, my God, like, Barton Knuckles, like, she's mm. super hot. She came up to me backstage and she was like, hey, uh, my third grade teacher is in the... <laughs> is in the room tonight is he your brother? And I was like, holy shit, fuck it fucking is. And mm. I, I was messaging my brother being like, you know this fucking hot girl dancing is like, was a child that you taught? No, no. And uh, he was like, yeah, I know. And I was like, is that weird? He was like, no, nah, it's not weird. I was like, yeah, it's fucking weird. <laughs> totally. That's really weird. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. But I mean, I, I, he's very, he finds it very rewarding. Mm. And I did ask her and I was like, you tell me the truth. Like, was he a good teacher, bad teacher, or whatever. Mm. She was like, no, he was a great teacher. Yeah. And I think uh, he's really great with, with my neighbor and my nephew and stuff like mm. he's, a, he's an awesome dad so I think he probably is just great with kids I, at one point I was going to be a teacher mm. but I um, became a neuroscientist <laughs> kind of a little saving lives Save a, lives, a now. little yeah. Yeah. yeah a little-ish yeah. I yeah. getting depression rather than uh, back problems now. Was... Well, yeah, but I've created a lot in my uh, poor, indebted girlfriend. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> These
0: of the few. The needs of mm. the few, eh? I... <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> that way, the needs of me, particularly. we mm. are going to tour the show for a <laughs> um, longer. So I'm going to do this show uh, for Edinburgh Fringe, mm. and then that's kind of the end of my year festival run. So I'm going to go back to Perth, and then I'm just doing gigs and stuff until Perth Fringe next year, which is February. Mm. And that's for sure the retiring of the title. Yeah, the title next year is all planned and stuff, and I've got probably 20, 30, maybe almost 40 minutes of that show done, and then some of the stuff that's in here is going to be in the new one in Perth, Mm. because it's not been seen in a show there. Because, yeah, it's, like, new to this festival, Mm. but, like, because the festival run started in February, it's like this, I've already retired stuff out of the show and replaced it with new stuff, so... Yeah, so I'm, 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 yeah, probably two thirds of the way towards the next one. Also a musician as well, is that right? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it's a leading question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm buying a loop machine. <laughs> uh, so I've, I've, I've beatboxed recreationally mm-hmm. for probably ten years doing it and I, I've, I've never sort of meant to do anything with it and I used to sing a lot and stuff as well like I, I was in a musical actually a couple of years ago a couple fringes ago a comedic musical somebody like I auditioned for it and I, and I got it and it was and it was good and like I, I can sing pretty well and yeah I've always been super interested in uh, like live looping and stuff mm-hmm. like the stuff like Reggie Watts does and like plenty of other people do well and like beady man does that kind of stuff in a non-comedic context and yeah so for the show next year like as soon as i get back from edinburgh pretty much i've got all the equipment picked out it's like 1300 bucks i gotta ask the girlfriend for that money too yeah i'm, I'm gonna buy this loop machine and and then I've, I've written some songs for it and then there's another bit where it's not song but it's like i'm gonna i already know like the effects i'm gonna use and stuff to to really build out this bit and sort of create a soundscape behind it. Yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be extra bow in my string. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a musical comic mm. is the thing. I don't want to be I don't want people to book me and, and demand that the loop machine comes. But I like the idea of having it as an extra element. Yeah. We're all cyborgs, man using microphones just another extra isn't it really yeah but fuck musical comics (laughs) (laughs) as long as you don't take the ukulele on stage then you're okay yeah yeah well I'm not a girl so I can't get away with it Mm -hmm. Um, but um, yeah no I don't know I feel real ambivalent about it just because I've shat on musical comics Mm. the last four and a half years you know like even before I got on stage I was like musical comedy Mm -hmm. what really changed my mind was this uh, there's a Perth based comedian called uh, Matt Storer really great comic probably let's say a year ahead of me or whatever awesome comic and was just good at comedy uh, and about a year ago he just pulled out this piano that he's been playing piano for years and he's great at it and he had written all these comedic songs and it was just he was just an extra thing that he mm. pulled out and like his show that year just had like this had four songs in it. He still did loads of great stand up in it mm. and th- that was the thing that where I kind of uh, it kind of turned a switch in my head where I went. even though there are plenty of musical comics who are not good at comedy. Mm -hmm. or not good at stand-up, let's say, doesn't mean you can't be a good stand-up with a musical element Mm -hmm. that you can use from time to time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm definitely happy with where my stand-up is progressing. There's obviously a long way to go all the time. But I'm solid as a stand-up, and I get booked as a stand-up, and I get paid as a stand-up. So if I can keep doing that and keep working on that and, and then also have a loop machine... Well, I'm gonna get a lot more money from bookers because everyone wants some fucking hook, mm-hmm. uh, and just being a straight white male comedian is not a hook. Uh, I hope it's gonna go well. So, what in the last couple of years have you kind of gone, oh fuck man, that was, the muscle is getting stronger?
0: The moment you thought that, like the quickening, like.
1: About a year ago is when I first wrote this joke that I, that I or this bit that I do. Which within it says like I oh, owe my girlfriend twelve thousand dollars, right? Mm. Which currently is not true. The real amount is like eighteen mm. or nineteen now. <laughs> every <laughs> so like every time I mention it, it's fucking higher. <laughs> but about a year ago, I wrote a joke for the first time, and it was five thousand dollars, and I was like, wow, that's so much money mm-hmm. to owe somebody. And <laughs> it's so <laughs> much money, you know. It's so much. It's five thousand dollars. Mm. And then over this last year, it has ballooned out absurdly to $19,000. And the reason for that is because we were going to move. We were going we to move from Perth, which is very remote. And um, the scene has gotten bigger, but it's still a little bit stifling just in terms of opportunities and also the, the level of people around. It's like you want to have real high-level people to learn from on a regular basis as opposed to just seeing them occasionally when they come to town. And so in order to stay there, we kind of, because uh, my girlfriend got this great job opportunity. And we had this real, because at that point we have been together for, let's say, three and a half, four years. And we had this real moment of, of crisis. And it was really the first in our relationship, because we'd always planned to move away together. Like, as a veterinarian, which my partner is, like, you can kind of work anywhere. And, like, when we when I first started doing stand-up and I first got together, it was, like, the same week. And so we always sort of were planning for leaving and moving and and i would progress in comedy and she would come with me and and, you know work but she got this great job opportunity which would be she's like the youngest like unit coordinator of any university for veterinary medicine Mm -hmm. ever like in the world she got given this opportunity to do that but it wouldn't mean she had to commit they asked her to commit to stay there for three more years And this was a year ago, and I was already at the point where I was like, "It's hard now. It's limiting my growth." Mm -hmm. And I I started late. I started twenty nine. It's like I can't be limiting my growth, you know, because otherwise I'll just not make it. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's easy not to make it in comedy. Loads of people don't do it. And so we had this real thing where we said, "Okay, what are what are our options here? What can we do?" We thought about, "Okay, do I move over to say Melbourne?" which is kind of a, one of the comedy meccas in, in Australia, at least, you know. Uh, so do I move there and we try and do a long-distance relationship? They never work out. Mm. I've been around long enough to know mm-hmm. that. You know, they don't. Even if it works for a little while, it's like at some point somebody cheats or whatever because mm. you're just so lonely mm-hmm. and then it just falls apart. And, like, this is for sure the most loving, important, romantic relationship I've ever been in for me and for her as as well like i've been married before Mm. like that marriage was nothing on this like this is real true love you know like not in the sense that there's one person for everyone but in the sense of like i've never felt Mm. this much care about another person Mm -hmm. you know so i don't i don't want to not be in this relationship and she doesn't want to not be in the relationship so we're like okay do we do that it's probably not going to work out does she move with me and not do this job right which is going to set her up in her industry for Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm and it's a great opportunity and it's sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity to come around so early, if she would do it and she was maybe willing to, I mean, it's one of the options on the table, well, then the bitterness and resentment of that decision will poison our relationship mm-hmm. and we'll break up anyway. And now she's given up this thing and we'll probably won't be together. Mm. And I'm like, well, that's not an option. Mm. We had this sort of third option that I came up with with my friend, right, and with uh, this guy Glenn that I was talking about. Uh, and I didn't feel good about this as an option, as a person, because essentially I was like, okay, what can I do to offset the fact that I'm in Perth? Because obviously, if I stay in Perth mm. and I just make the and I just take the hit, well, now I'm going to resent it, mm-hmm. and that'll poison the relationship. Mm. And so I sort of thought, well. If she takes this job, she's going to be making an extra ten grand a year. Mm-hmm. And what if she kind of underwrites me a little bit for touring, so I can go to other cities, particularly do festivals, right, and like move forward mm-hmm. artistically, and creatively mm-hmm. and career-wise, because mm-hmm. it it's definitely like affects your ability to get booked, just that mm-hmm. so people see you go to other festivals. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of we had this conversation. We sort of tossed up all these options. I said, like, "You know, what are you kind of thing? And she said, "Well, I, you know, I get, and I guess, you know, I'm going to make extra income. I can just give you the ten grand." And I was like, "Baby, that's crazy. Don't give me ten grand. Mm-hmm. It won't be anywhere near ten grand. But just, I guess, whatever it cost. You know, mm-hmm. what I thought it was going to be it was like, say, six or seven mm-hmm. or whatever. And instead of ten, it's become fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god." Because I committed to all these festivals, and I and it's not so much the expense of going to the festival or even the accommodation there, because a lot of that stuff almost balances out with ticket sales mm. and, and whatever. The expense is I still pay rent at home mm. the whole time I'm away, but I like I'm not even working my part-time job, mm. and so now I'm up to like nineteen thousand dollars, and so I got to go home and I have to pull a bunch of double shifts mm. and try and get this number down. Mm. Like because when I got that circus hosting thing, I, that gave me four grand. Mm. If I hadn't gotten it, I'd owe her $23,000 right now. <laughs> and that came completely out of the blue. Like, that was not planned. Mm. So I'm very glad it did. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so I forget how we got into that. But
0: That's, that's cool. It's just like the the moment, well, the quickening of like, the moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. So
1: essentially, I said all that just to say that almost every festival I've done over this last year, because I've done now, like, I think this is my fifth festival in the year, mm. every single festival mm. I have leveled up as as uh, my friend Glenn puts it yeah like there was things where I like hosting the nasty show like mm-hmm. I hosted every night of it in Sydney because Glenn was like oh I won't do it even though it's great mm-hmm. hosting that show for an hour doing my solo show an hour right before it and running from my solo show to it mm-hmm. it's like oh two hours on stage mm-hmm. you know like that's such a rarity. Mm. And, I mean, Edinburgh Fringe is, is great. There's so many opportunities and stuff, but like usually throughout the year, you don't know, get those kinds of opportunities. But yes, yeah, so I've stepped up like multiple times throughout this year mm-hmm. and like hosting that circus thing. I've never done anything like that before. Like I've emceed comedy nights. I've never been the sole comedian hosting people flipping through the air, dancing girls, contortionists, mm. all kinds of shit and I bought a fucking suit for it and like did it in a suit I've never performed in a suit before that's cool that feels mm-hmm. real great and the audience is like I trust you now and it's mm-hmm. actually a real cheat mm-hmm. but yeah that was a moment yeah going to Adelaide Festival which is a brutal festival like performing mm-hmm. to to small numbers and still doing a good job like under adversity that was a great moment mm-hmm going to the Melbourne Comedy Festival where I didn't take a show, but I just did a bunch of spots. That was a moment where I sort of went, I'm a lot better than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because I got a lot better this year. Mm-hmm. And I was still, but I was still thinking of myself as like, say, before three festivals ago. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's the level I'm at. And then I did three festivals and then I went to this thing and I was just doing spots and like, uh, not the comedy is of competition at all, but I was like blowing people out of the water mm-hmm. who were like, more experienced than me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is this year. This is all the support that Nicole has given me, mm-hmm. right? The freedom to do all these festivals mm-hmm. has absolutely skyrocketed by, by ability because just the opportunity because there's nothing that can compete with stage time. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. And particularly stage time in all these different environments has been great. Like even the, di- the different cities in Australia is great. Edinburgh's been a, such a great growth opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, just to be... Uh, playing the different crowds and making your stuff have to work and stuff. Like the adversity is what makes you grow, you know? Like every time, particularly every time you fail, Mm. that's a great opportunity Mm. to get better. Mm. And uh, and when you just like, particularly Perth, you know, like you stay in like this small pool, Mm. you'll just play to the pool. Mm -hmm. You'll do what works there and you never get challenged. You never really grow. You grow like really incrementally, Mm. but then go to festivals, doing 50 minutes at a time, doing an hour, Hosting shows and playing different crowds and seeing so much so many better Mm -hmm. comics that's such a big thing too. Mm -hmm. Inspiring, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where you're like, wow, that person's that person's angle from twenty years in is amazing. It's incredible, Mm -hmm. and it just makes it makes you better Mm -hmm. um, to know that they can do that. Whether or not you mimic or steal things, like not steal, but like or get inspired by. Mm But just the fact that they're at that level Mm. makes you immediately work harder. Like, Mm. you you see people sometimes and you're like, I have to go home and write. Mm -hmm. And it's just because you go, yeah, there's so much more to grow. There have been real watershed moments, like, let's say five times this year. Mm. I've gone, wow, I'm at another level. That was not the case when I was, like, stuck in Perth. Sounds like your relationship is... A great solid foundation, man. It's, it's so, all I'm stepping all over it. I'll that's tell you, solid. <laughs> solid. Yeah, this is
0: great, man. Oh, that's great, man. That's really good. So, so, Jess, we work with some, some. you next. You're doing the Edinburgh Fringe, and you're gonna go back to Perth after this, and that's your end of your run. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I um, I'm going back to Perth. Uh, so, I'm yeah, here for August. Like, I'm doing Sex and Video Games Mondays, Thursdays, Fridays, and then spots throughout the like mm-hmm. throughout the weeks and stuff. And then, yeah, end of the month, I go back to Perth. I'm there for a couple of months, and then I'm going to Melbourne and Sydney, not for festivals, but just for gigs, but just for, like, a weekend each. Mm. But And the only reason I'm going is I, I got booked at um, what I think people would probably agree is the best venue in the country, the comedy store in Sydney, mm. where that's was a thing that I, like... Like, last year, I wrote a whole list of goals, and I met almost all of them, and a couple of them I didn't, but, like, I, d- I did better because I had the goals to mm-hmm. meet, you know, like I, there were probably things on that list I wouldn't have done mm. if I hadn't planned. And this year I didn't do that, but I had one thing that I just sort of said to myself, like, oh, I really would like to do this. Mm. And that's to work the comedy store, like to, to get booked there. And what I said stupidly in like May, mm. I was like, oh, i tell you what, I want to do the comedy store this year. and That only gives me like six, six seven months. I'm doing it in November. I don't know how I got in, but I did. Clearly. And so, yeah, so I'm I'm going to do like a week in Melbourne and then a week in uh, Sydney where the comedy store is at. Mm-hmm. Like Sydney's, like those are paid gigs and I'll get some other ones there too. And I'm, I'm probably getting paid in Melbourne, but it's just like because of the flights, you may as well do a week in each. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, apart from that, I won't be leaving until end of, like until Adelaide Fringe probably next year. Cool. But yeah, per Fringe, I'll, uh, I'll have uh, number one comedy, Great Fun. Mm. Jez, wants seo nightmare and i'll have a fucking loot machine in it great can't <laughs> wait to see that <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Jez, where can we come find you on like your social media and stuff oh yeah well i um i do a podcast as well like because you get podcast listeners uh a little cross cross pollination mm. i actually just launched a comedy podcast network uh the infinite just comedy network so you can search that on uh, itunes that's there um and like, i do a podcast called brief interviews with hideous men uh it's just uh, four or five comics hanging out talking shit after a show, um, yeah, infinite jazz on all the social medias. Jazz has come the show, man. Thanks, thanks family. Thanks, man. I'm great.
0: And that was the very funny, very honest. Jez Watts—he's gonna be around the country, Australia. Gonna be—I don't know where he's gonna be next. Go and find him on Facebook. Go follow him on Twitter. And go and see him live. Go see the nasty show. That sounds like fun to me. Honest, I'd like to try that myself. So that was Jez Watts for episode fifty-six. We've got a very funny comedian, Zach Dyer, who was in the finals for The So You Think You're Funny in 2017. He is up next. That's episode 57. Now, if you like this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. We're there at The Comedy Defect. If you want to follow me, it's at Winter Fonander. Again, I'm telling you about the Guinness Encyclopedia. I am raking as many jokes as I can out of that book. I'm putting them on Twitter under the handle at Guinness Jokes. So go check them out on Twitter go follow it, come, come see me do them at the Leicester Festival in 2018 and that show is going to be run by Christopher Norton Walker. The date will be on my Facebook, on my website, all of those places. Now, if you like this podcast and you want to support us, go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast and you can donate as little as a dollar. As much as you feel this podcast is worth and those of you who don't donate, that's all right. Just share your favourite episode, tell your friends about it or look, just go on your phone and leave us a nice honest review. Look, put in, you know, the maximum amount of stars and, you know, just a funny comment would be nice. Just, you know, your favourite episode, whatever you want to do. Just have fun with it, you know. It's right on your phone. Just go for it. Enjoy yourself. Uh, But that was episode 56 with Jez Watts. Next, next month. The last Wednesday of the month, episode 57, is with a very funny Zach Dyer. So I'll say this for the rest of the year. You enjoy your break. Enjoy the run up to the end of the year. And just have a rest. Just get things in order. Get those things done you need to do. But don't, you know, but don't strain yourself too much. Look, you know, it's it's the holidays. Next year, 2018, we've got Zach Dyer, finalist for So You Think You're Funny. I wish you a happy new year for 2018, guys. Enjoy the rest of the break.